Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning in to the Miles Behind Podcast. Uh, this episode, uh, I brought my buddy Ben on to talk about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, he's been to Israel like, eight times. Um, and I, I, I love how passionate he is about Israel. I just, I didn't know anything about the Israel-Palestine conflict. And it's kind of popping off right now. So um, I asked him to come on. He was kind enough to give me his time, um, which I really appreciate. I had a wonderful time talking to him. Uh, very informative, very fun. Um, definitely knows what he's talking about. So uh, please stay tuned, listen to the episode, enjoy it, um, and enjoy the new theme song. Uh, if you ever want to call into the podcast, you can do so at 406 351 It's 406 351 Feel free to check me out on Instagram, uh, Miles Glev, M-I-L-E-S-G-L-E-V. I do a show there called It's Pizza. I also post podcast clips. I do, you know, just regular stuff about my life. Um, you can follow Ben at Ben Atwater, A-T-W-A-T-E-R. On Instagram, check out his uh, YouTube, B 96 He's got a lot of Israel footage, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate it. God bless. back in november so she's nice. like seven months old now she's that's really awesome cute. what's her name it, it's definitely made me a bit of a simp for her you know yeah facts. <laughs> i can't resist it it's just so freaking cute you know yeah what's her name tuli tuli yeah t-u-l-i oh that's cute yeah that's it's, awesome where'd you get that name um so it actually comes from hebrew uh so in hebrew hatul means cat so I kind of wanted to do a play on that, but a little more cute than just, you know, Hatul, you know. Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, I should clarify. Yeah, my family were, uh, you know, I was brought up Jewish and everything. Nice. So that's yeah. why so things are named after. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, I know a, um, I know a, a Jewish person. She named her dog Asher. Asher, I, I think. <clears throat> Sorry, Asher. it means, yeah, it means happy, right? Um, it's one of the words for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's your How's your Hebrew? It's okay. Uh, you know, it gets better. You know, it, it's the thing with Hebrew. So, um, you know, I went to Hebrew school after my normal public school education. So Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays. You know, I had a bar mitzvah. You learn the alphabet, but you know, it's really hard to speak it somewhere where it's not the native language. So yeah. I would. I've learned more informally on my trips to Israel in the past than I have through any formal education, you know, just going out there, yeah. ordering food, asking for directions, it really forces you to, you know, start to think in it a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's okay, I mean, I can't talk about deep politics or anything, but like I said, I can order food or, yeah, you yeah. Know. you can get around, you can chit-chat. Yeah, you can chit-chat, exactly. Nice. How um, many, how many times have you been to Israel? So, <laughs> I have been on a total of eight trips, um, yeah, yeah, I was starting to go pretty frequently. From 2015, that summer, um, you know, from there on, it was going either once or twice a year, and then, you know, COVID struck, but, so in total, I've been eight times, nice. uh, in, you, end of 2015 to 2020. Not, wow. 
Yeah, you were doing like some long stints there too. You did like like a month there one time, right? I did two months there one time actually. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll give a little just background on my yeah. time there. You know how it, it relates to the modern, you know, or I guess last week's conflict, but still ongoing. Um, so I did go on birthright in uh, 2015. I know uh, I don't know if that's you know considered controversial. I know a lot of people think it's just a uh, propaganda tour, which I mean to a degree it is. Uh, Wait, why is why is birthright controversial? So Birthright is a program. Um, it's run by three different sources of money. They get nonprofit donations. Um, they also get government funding. And then separate from that, Israeli tax dollars actually go to fund the program. And what it is, is it's for teens, Jewish teens, 18 to 32, to go on a 10-day heritage tour of Israel. So, um, you know, they take you all around. Uh, you know, it's a tour. It's about 40 or so people with a tour guide, and you have two counselors who are also from America. Um, so, you know, they're helping staff the trip. But it's it's all expense paid, the flight, everything. Um, you know, I mean, you have to pay when you go out to the clubs and stuff. But yeah, yeah. meals, everything, activities, it's all covered. So it's an amazing, amazing program. Um, <clears throat> I went out in 2015, uh, and then I actually ended up staffing as a counselor, um, you know. yeah. You know, uh, well, in, I should clarify, in between, when I was there for two months, that was my second trip after my birthright trip. I was doing an internship in a city called Beersheba, which is actually really cool, because that's a city that's in the desert in the south of Israel. So most of the culture and economic activity in Israel centered around Tel Aviv and, and Jerusalem as well. But uh, those are in the center of the country. But, you know, Beersheba is quite far down in the desert. Um, I wanted to do my internship there, because I wanted to see a more authentic side of the country, not just, you know, what the big international cities and all of the tourists yeah. sort of, you know, create. So I was a counselor afterwards. Um, I also went back a few times. Uh, you know, one time I extended a Europe vacation to go work out of my company's Jerusalem office. Uh, I actually did that twice. Um, yeah, so, I mean, overall, you know, I, I had a lot of time there. Now, why birth rate is controversial, I would say. Um, so there have been a couple of, you know, movements against birthright, protesting it. Uh, really? By whom? There's an organization called If Not Now, and um, you know, to them, they consider themselves to be very pro-Palestinian, um, and that is their motive. And they object to birthright because they don't take you to see the Palestinian territories on the trip. Mm. Um, so you know, I mean, and that's you know, I mean, it's a point. It's a conversation that should be had. And I think the big thing is that. The birthright trip isn't really about giving you a geopolitical seminar on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a lot of donors. It's about welcoming out. Jewish people into the promised land. Not even about that, really just bringing Jewish people together. Um, look, Miles, I've done lots of Jewish programs, you know, besides birthright. I mean, I'm living in a, a Jewish house right now called Moisha House, where you run programs for the community. Um, so it's much more localized. But all of these Jewish social programs, at the end of the day, they're to get Jews to meet other Jews, to, you know. Yeah make Jewish babies to carry on the people. So, you know, that's really the primary purpose of it. But, you know, again, it's really more about Jewish heritage. And a lot of these kids yeah. who go on it, you know, they come from all different backgrounds. Some people like, have never done anything Jewish before. Some yeah. have done a lot, you know. So it's really all sorts of ranges of people. And, you know, you can go and see the Palestinian territories if you extend your birthright. Um, I did that once myself, and I'd love to talk about that also. Yeah. To travel to the West Bank, which was actually really interesting to see that side after having seen the other side so much. Mm. But like, you know, what are they supposed to do on birthright? Be like, all right, well, here's Israel, here's Jewish culture, here's Jewish this, and then 
those are the Palestinians, and then here's this. Like, what, what are they, like, of course they're going to show Jewish culture. That makes sense to me. I don't think that's controversial. And, and even, you know, I, I say to participants when I've been the, the counselor before, yeah. I say, you know, if that's something you're interested, I totally encourage you to extend yeah. your trip. It's great, because birthright pays for your flight there. So you can extend it to however far off in the future you want. So what a lot of people do is, you know, they'll stay past the 10-day tour, which is, you know, you have to be with the group. But then after that, people will stay in Israel. Sometimes they'll go to other countries and then go back to Israel. Because once you're in Israel, it's a lot cheaper to get to other parts of Europe. So, I mean... One time I went to Jordan after birthright. Uh, one time I went to Greece. But, I, again, the West Bank is another area you can go to. I mean, it's whether it's a different country or not is a whole other conversation. <laughs> but, you know, um, I mean, to a degree it is. It's, it's definitely its own thing, very separate from Israel. And, I, yeah, I encourage people that they should yeah. go. And also, like you were saying, it is showing Jewish sites. Uh, outside of that, there's a lot of great Christian sites that, you know, I'm not Christian, but I've been able to have the privilege to visit in Israel, and I appreciate the historical and cultural significance the church of the holy sepulchre in jerusalem where uh i think that's where jesus where he died um his tomb is there that's an amazing amazing beautiful place to go into his uh, tomb is there Bethlehem, same thing where jesus was born it, yeah. you can just fill the thousands of years of history and i see a lot of the christian visitors who go there and they're in tears and it's, it's a very similar thing to going to the western wall for a jewish person yeah which is uh, the border that's the last remaining structure of the second temple which was destroyed by the romans mm. so, you know i mean like i say even if it's not your faith i think it's still important to go to these cultural sites there's just something for everybody in that land yeah some- i I've, I've wanted to go to israel for quite some time i i, th- I think it's great just because i I've, I've always been fascinated with jewish culture and i didn't know that many jews i don't know any jewish people growing up but yeah, like I always, yeah. I always liked the like even like I know this is kind of silly, but like at Christmas I always preferred blue and white lights to red and green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean it's nice winter. It's more in theme with winter for one. Yeah, thing, but but yeah. but like I've always wanted to go to to Israel to see that, and then as I've you know grown more in my Christian faith to see the place where you know Jesus was like he was a Jewish man to like. To learn and, more about Jewish culture just contextually would be really cool. No, I mean, you've never, you know, obviously, we, you know, you growing up, I know you've become more religious recently. Yeah. But you grew up in a, a Christian household, right? Yeah, we were, so my mom is Protestant, my dad is Catholic, so we were raised Catholic. And, and, did, and what? Did you, I mean, did you always talk about it in the sense of, like, the holy sites that are there for Christians when you were going to church? Or, I don't know, if you went um, to church back then? Yeah, so we, we went to church growing up. Uh, as we got a little older, it kind of faded away. Um, but growing up, we were going, you know, every Sunday. And it's hard because uh, I feel like there's not enough emphasis on the fact that these are all Jewish people. Like, at the church, you mean? At any In just Christian circles, like, it's, there's really not a lot of emphasis, and I, I only really learned that uh, last year. I was just, you know when you just find yourself in, like, a YouTube hole, and you watch, like, the same stuff for, like, two weeks? Oh, my goodness. I, I've been watching a lot of Kit Boga. That's the scam baiter. But, yeah, I'm, I can't get over it. But then I know it's going to pass in, in, like, a week, and I'll be on to the next ch- channel yeah. I discover. Yeah, so I found this one. It was called One for Israel. And it's this whole movement uh, where they're, they're showing a lot of videos of, like, Jewish people accepting Jesus as their Messiah. Mm. And, like, a lot of Jewish people, like, 
I, I guess, I, I don't know, but this is their experience, I guess, is they didn't even realize that Jesus was Jewish. Like, a lot of Jewish people would say, like, I thought he was Catholic. Like, Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I know that thing comes so later. Well, um, the other thing is that but, G- Jesus but, isn't a, a Jewish name. Like, his name was Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua. Yeah. That's just you know, the, the anglification of it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm about the Jews who have embraced Jesus, so I think those are called Messianic Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or colloquially Jews for Jesus. Um, mm. But, yeah, I actually, you know, part of my upbringing, I went to a Jewish sleepaway camp, and, and they would rent out, you know, some of the different empty cabins to other groups that would come, and there was a bunch of Messianic Jews that came one time. And it was really interesting talking to them, um, you know, because, I mean, I, I didn't grow up really learning about Jesus, you know, within temple or anything, but, you know, to hear them just to, to have that dual sort of, you know, both, both knowing of all of the, the Jewish practices while also, you know, accepting Jesus as a Christian, that was very fascinating. To yeah. Me. Um, I, I, just, oh, sorry, what? Mix up. <laughs> what were we saying? It's an interesting mix up, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it was very jarring, but you know, it, I, it was, it was unique for sure. Yeah. And, and yet, in Jesus, he was a Jew. I mean, from what I understand, he uh, upset the, the sta- establishment, and most people who do upset the establishment, you know, they get punished for it. <laughs> but that's <laughs> all history, I guess, right? Yeah, and I, I think more emphasis needs to be put on that. Like, these are all very Jewish people, and like, um. Yeah, like I, I stopped referring to the Old Testament as the Old Testament. I call it the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeah. Because like I, I really think that that's like, like just like trying to remember that like, oh yeah, this is like I follow like a Jewish guy. Like trying to remember that. Well, and you know, it even I mean, even broader than just Jews and Christians. I mean, Muslims too, of course. You know, we're all Abrahamic. We all we all follow the same God, and then you know, I think. I don't know, maybe, I mean, then you do keep thinking back to this conflict that seems like it's age-old with Israel-Palestine, mm. you know? The people really are more similar than different. Um, yeah. Well, know, hey, we let's... Look, I'll tell you, uh, so much of Israeli culture is is inspired by, you know, the Arab world that's around it. Um, the entire country, which is the size of the state of New Jersey, it's surrounded by, you know, all Muslim-majority countries. Um, now, things have changed recently, I don't even mean just recently as far as the conflict, but, uh, you know, before about a year ago, the only countries, Arab countries in the Middle East that had peace with Israel were Egypt and Jordan because they, they border it. It's just better for commerce and everyone's security if you're at peace. But, um, you know, uh, still getting so many uh, Sephardic Jews in the country was created in 1948. Um, they came from all sorts of Arab majority countries and they brought that culture with them. So the mm. There is no such thing as Israeli cuisine. It's an amalgam of all different places from the Middle East. And the food's similar. Uh, even when I went to the West Bank, you can see they have a similar sense of humor. They have a very similar sort of, you know, values, family values, just taking life one day at a time. You know, it's, it's again, it, it's really a shame that all of these, all of these conflicts boil down to just, you know, governments mismanaging everything and, and the people paying the price for it. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize it was that much of like kind of a cultural mishmash, but let's uh, let's talk about that conflict a bit. This is my buddy Ben. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Miles. Thank yeah. you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I didn't even I didn't realize it was that much of a kind of a, a mishmash and like that kind of can, so I first of all had no idea what was going on uh, in in Israel and Palestine. My understanding is basically. 
after World War II, England, France, and America were like, we got to do something with these guys. And the Jewish people were like, oh, we just want Israel. And they were like, oh, that's it? Okay, here you go. And then it's kind of been a mess. Like, <laughs> how'd I do? <laughs> or so uh i'll take it i mean i mean i could give a a 30 second spiel you know a little crash course yeah just really briefly i mean as far as israel as a country and a state uh, i think what a lot of people don't realize is um before 1948 it really was never a sovereign state you know um after world war one like uh, taiwan yeah well oh wow sorry you're going to have to make an apology like John Cena, Miles. You're going to have to make an apology to the Chinese government. I don't um, know Chinese. <laughs> well, you can get an interpreter. Just copy his video. Did you see that? That he literally apologized to the Chinese government? Yeah, dude. I saw this meme today. Do you know that Do you know that? Um, that scene from South Park with the Wheel of Fortune? Oh, it was yeah. that meme, but instead of that word, they they had Taiwan and it had John Cena, and then they had Winnie the Pooh creeping <laughs> out from behind the camera. <laughs> and the and the category was a country in Asia. <laughs> oh my god! That's yeah. Sorry, yeah. So Israel wasn't a uh, over a yeah, sovereign. No, yeah. No, um, that was just hilarious when that that happened. But yeah, yeah. So so as I was saying, um, you know, before nineteen forty eight. You, it was pretty much it was like India. It was ruled by the British Empire. Uh, they ruled it since uh, in World War One. The British, the Allied forces, defeated the Ottomans. Uh, this was back when Turkey was called the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so originally, the Ottoman Empire was you know sort of ruling that territory for about five hundred and some years. Um, you know, then you go back further and further, you just have all sorts of different empires and civilizations ruling that land because for so long it was so important. So they knew that, you know, having sort of a presence there, whatever occupying power it was, you know, whether it's the British, the Ottomans, the Greek, the Assyrians, uh, the Romans, you know, it, it's never really been its own sovereign country per se. So in 1948, um, obviously you have the Holocaust that happens. Uh, about half of the world's Jewry um, is murdered, you know, in, in the European Holocaust. They can't really go back to their homes. Uh, most of them have been destroyed in Europe. Whoa. So, uh, I should say, so So the British Mandate of Palestine is what it was called at the time, again, when it was under British rule. You had Jews living there. Um, you've had Jews living in that land for hundreds of years. Um, when all of the Jews, most of them, it's called the Diaspora. They left after the Romans invaded and really got rid of the kingdom of Israel. Um, mm. they out, that's how they got all over Europe and the Middle East and Africa. But you had a small group that stayed there. Um, then you also had all other sorts of people there. You did have the Arabs. You did have the Druze people, which is its own minority. Um, you had lots of different folks there. So, uh, you know, as the British is pulling out, which is just one year after they pulled out of India and created India-Pakistan, which is funny because there really are a lot of parallels between those two conflicts, um, you know, they said, okay, here's your, your two-state partition plan. They suggested it to the UN, and the UN you know, sort of declared it that this was their what they were going to do. Um, so they, they declared a plan where the modern map of Israel, um, about it was about half and half. So Jews got half of it, Arabs got half of it. Jerusalem was an international zone, but it was actually really deep within the Arab part. So, you know, there was questions as to how they would travel, but nobody thought this was a good plan. Um, if you look at the map, it's just really completely 
abstract shapes for countries. It's not convenient. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, telling people that, I mean, you've had people living there for hundreds of years, just forcing them to move because if it's, you know, your, your big government office's plan, it's, it's never a good idea. And there are tensions. Uh, so the Jews, they were at that point desperate for any country, especially after the Holocaust and was destroyed a lot of them. They needed the security. They accepted it, knowing it wasn't a great plan. The Arabs didn't want to accept it, um, but, you know, understandable. If someone's coming in telling you what to do with your land, uh, I wouldn't necessarily just want to give it up because that's yeah. what, you know, it's for the betterment of the world. <clears throat> I get that. It's, I not, it's not like Jews and Arabs have been friends for most of history, so. Well, actually, um, there was definitely a golden period, a renaissance. In Spain in the 1300s, uh, that yeah. was considered a golden age of coexistence. But then the Spanish Inquisition, when the king of Spain picked out all the Jews in 1492, the same year they sponsored Christopher Columbus's expedition, uh, you know, that's when sort of the, 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 um, the conflict started to arise. So they separated the people by kicking them out of Spain. But, but back to that, you know... So, con- so in the year 1492, Spain yeah. expelled all of their Jews? <laughs> oh my god, that's the new the new rhyme. I yeah. like it. Sorry. Yeah, Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, you know, basically that 1948 plan, it, it was a shame, you know, it wasn't well thought out, but the Jews accepted, the Arabs didn't, so the Arabs actually went to war with the Jews. Um, not only the Arabs that were living in that land, but... Um, about five other armies, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt, uh, they all invaded. And somehow the, the Jews won the war. Um, it was very bloody. And, yeah, it did result in a lot of displacement for a lot of those Arabs who, you know, then started to become identified as Palestinians as their statehood took more of an identity. Um, yeah. And when, when was that war? What? When was that war? So that that war was declared in 1948, as soon as the state of Israel was, you know, okay. declared a state. So it's really it, that's called the Revolutionary War. But um, it's it's you know, on the one hand, it, it's you know, it's uh, you can see both sides why they would defend. I mean, you know, the Arabs wouldn't want to leave their country because you know they were told to by some government, and the Jews at the same time, you know. Uh, a lot of them were there. A lot of them did come from Europe, Holocaust survivors. But uh, through guerrilla warfare, they somehow managed to take this, you know, take on five complete full militaries of countries that were well established, and they somehow won the war. And, and it's considered a, a miracle to the Jewish people. Uh, it's called something else to the Palestinians. It's called the Nakba, which is the catastrophe. So, um, yeah, you know. And then since then, there was a lot of a lot of Arabs fled to different refugee camps, some in Lebanon, some in Egypt, some in Jordan. I should say um, a lot of, not a lot, but there were a good amount of Arabs that decided to accept Israeli citizenship and stay in the country. And that's become what today is Israel's uh, Arab population. So this is separate from the Palestinians who are living in the West Bank and Gaza. This is about 20% of the population who identify as Israeli. They're Arabs. They serve in the IDF. Um, You know, they have an Arab unit, but they serve in the IDF. As far as the Palestinians today, like I said, that's a result from that first war and all of that displacement. And, um, yeah, it's really a shame. Now now their territory, uh, you know, there have been a few other wars along the way. Uh, it's been really bloody um, on both sides. And now the Palestinians today, they're, they're put in between two different uh, territories. And I think this is another big misconception people have. Um, in Palestine, even as today, um, it's not one unified government or country. You have the Gaza Strip, which is controlled by Hamas, and then you have the West Bank, which is much bigger, uh, controlled by the Palestinian Authority. So um, the Palestinian Authority,
majority, uh, you know, is considered much more moderate than Hamas, which the U.S. is it considers it a terrorist group, and they definitely engage in a lot more bloody conflicts. But most of the recent conflict has been in Gaza. So, yeah, sorry, I hope that wasn't too confusing. No, 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 I, I followed along perfectly. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things, again, it's, it's, it's a shame. I mean... If we could all just, you know, put everything down and just put everything in the past and just try to move forward, but obviously I don't think that's in human nature, and, you know, it's it's really hopeless, because this has been going on since the coal country was created in 1948, and it's over 70 years now. Uh, it's really hard to see an end to it, you know, then so, the longer it goes on. You know? So you said that uh, Hamas is controlling Palestine? Okay, well, again, so that's what I'm saying. When, when we say Palestine, I think you got to clarify, oh, there the, isn't the, one... The West Bank. No, Hamas is controlling the Gaza Strip. Oh, the Gaza Strip. And uh, the Palestinian Authority, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is the president of that. They're controlling the West Bank, so... Okay, and those are two separate zones. Mm-hmm. So, like, when okay. people say Palestine, I mean, it is, you know, the people of Palestine, but as far as the actual sovereignty, they're two completely separate zones. The governments do not get along. Um, they've actually... There's been a lot of conflict between them. So Palestinian Authority uh, split off from the Fatah party. And, um, you know, Hamas is the party that rules Gaza, like I said. And they, so basically, the Gaza Strip, um, you know, that became uh, its own territory in 2005. Um, It was, again, it was part of Israel, but it was a huge Arab population. And similar to the West Bank, um, you know, it it was a large Arab population. And they do have some freedoms of movement. But, um, you know, in 2005, Israel decided, you know, we're going to cede this for peace because conflict kept rising up. So they ceded it and, you know, they made it its own zone. They had elections. Uh, Hamas won the election. But then, um, you know, they tried to have more elections because you're supposed to have elections every certain period. And um, Hamas didn't really want to have a competition. So they actually ended up killing a lot of Fatah party members within Gaza. And since then, the situation in Gaza has deteriorated. Um, there has been a blockade uh, at the sea. And as far as geography, Gaza is along the beach. Um, yeah, I, I just pulled up a map so I can see it. Yeah, it, it's along the beach. It borders Egypt. Um, it's very tiny, really. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, things have deteriorated because uh, Israel has, has controlled movement in and out of there. Um, you know, whether that's right or wrong, uh, the reasons for them doing so is because often uh, in the past there have been other entities or groups uh you know many say it's iran i would personally agree with that but they're they're funneling weapons in to give to hamas to further uh prolong this conflict and perpetuate it to go farther so israel's put a blockade on it um and it's really an unfortunate situation for the citizens they don't have uh you know if you're a citizen in gaza you can't just go take an airplane go visit somewhere that's unheard of you're really stuck to this very tiny tiny area that's it's very very dense um and, and, you know, it is it's it is like living in a war zone. I mean, you know, you, you have Hamas, which is, you know, they're very extremists. Um, they enforce, like, a very strict Islamic society uh, compared to the West Bank, where it is much more, you know, free, in, in some senses at least. But, yeah, so the reason why these conflicts keep flaring up is because Gaza or Hamas gets their hands on rockets, uh, you know, whether from Iran or from ISIS, from other groups, and they fire them into Israel. Now, their rockets, they're not very high technology. They're not very refined. Um, you know, they're not very effective. Um, 
but you know, again, it's still it has it has done damage in Israel. I've 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 known of people who have you know unfortunately either you know been killed in an attack or you know at least just been witness to it. Um, obviously, uh, you know, people talk about the fatality rates being very disparities on both sides. I think in the current conflict that I looked up yesterday, 12 Israelis have died for something like, I think close to 300 Palestinians have died in this conflict. And, and yeah, those numbers are definitely jarring. So Israel has the Iron Dome system. Have you heard of this, Miles? Dude, I saw that video the other day. Of it shooting down rockets over Tel Aviv? That was very cool. I mean, obviously it's like sad that it has to get to that, but that's some pretty cool like technology, yeah. Some of my friends posted, uh, you know, that night, you know, it was a few nights, but just, you know, on Instagram, they posted videos of it. It was like yeah. fireworks, but yeah. um, the Iron Dome shoots down the rockets that, you know, uh, Hamas will send in. Uh, it has a 90% success rate, but in this current conflict, from what I understand, Hamas was just firing as many as possible to overwhelm the Iron Dome systems. Mm. So that's when you get into the controversy, because the U.S. funds the Iron Dome, they give $3.8 billion every year to Israel. Um, I believe a third of that goes to military, but I could be wrong oh, in the yeah. exact number. But, but again, a lot of that goes to fund the Iron Dome. And then you, you that's why then we've had issues. So now there's been a bill proposed by AOC and Bernie to, you know, cut funding to Israel, including the Iron Dome, which, which President Biden, you know, um, he's not my favorite person necessarily, but I would say I, I was actually quite happy with his statements about it, that, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself, you know, but at the same time, we have to give aid to the damage. Because, um, yeah, on the other side, Israel has been attacking a lot of sites in Gaza where Hamas has been launching rockets from. But, again, it's so dense. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is always collateral damage, you know, always buildings mm. destroyed, always civilians dying. It's a terrible situation. They don't have power, water, and it's 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 terrible. <laughs> so let me let me ask something. What what is the U.S.'s like vested interest in the existence of Israel? I guess like, why are we funding Israel? Well, again, I, I guess that depends who you ask. But um, what I would say, uh, you know, from everything I understand and from my perspective, um, especially back in the 1970s, um, but you know, more so throughout the 40s, really right after World War II. Uh, you know, we were all afraid of, you know, any any communism taking rise anywhere. Mm. Uh, Soviet Union was starting to invest heavily in a lot of these uh, countries, their countries in the region. Um, and that was sort of, I think, why we wanted to have a very strong ally there to also be an intelligence partner and just sort of to be okay. essentially a U.S. outpost. So that's definitely a big reason as to why, you know, again, Cold War. It's not yeah. like the U.S. ever does anything out of the kindness of its heart, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. um, I would say it's, you know, that was sort of why there was so much money and support going to it at first. Modern day, I mean, I mean, somewhat similar, but, you know, it's still in our interest to have an intelligence partner there, especially with Iran being so close. So, uh, mm. case in point, a quick little anecdote on that. Do you remember when, um, you know, <clears throat> former, former Donald Trump, when he pulled out of the Iran deal? Yeah. Uh, the, the precipice for that was because there were Israeli spies that were planted in the Iranian military, um, and they went undercover, and they found out that what Iran said about them having centrifuges used just for manufacturing purposes, not nuclear weapons, they found a bunch of files indicating that that wasn't true. Um, you know, basically that, that they, them saying that they were stopping their nuclear weapons development for this, the purpose of having sanctions eased in the Iran deal, uh, Israeli spies discovered that was all a lie. And, um, you know, they shared that with the U.S. 
Benjamin Netanyahu did a really meme-worthy um, presentation, <laughs> which is really funny. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but he does these YouTube videos where he has, like, the most outdated PowerPoints and shares <laughs> all his intelligence. It's, 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 he's such a, he's, he's a character in of himself. But, um, you know, so again, I mean, you know, th- that's actually why Trump pulled out of the Iran deal. Now, I understand that we're starting to maybe look into getting back into that. And then there are some theories that that's why, you know, if sanctions were eased on Iran, that's why they were able to funnel more weapons to Gaza and, and start this conflict heating up again. But, you know, again, I think now it's just sort of about, you know, having, you know, intelligence out there, especially with Iran right there. We never know what's going to happen. I don't personally think it's, you know, that big of a threat, but, you know. Okay. I'm just saying why the U.S. has that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So the current, I guess, recent uprising in a conflict, I guess, like now everything's popping off. So that's mainly from Gaza and not the West Bank or both? Well, there have been some things in the West Bank. So... I would say from Gaza, there has been rocket fire, and you know it's been incessant, and that's why Israel has started to take actions where they're they're striking the rocket sites, and and again, that's why you see all this collateral damage, loss of dead children, really really sad. But you know, again, the alternative is just let your neighbors keep on firing rockets; they're never going to stop. I mean, their 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 Hamas's logo, their charter includes the destruction of the state of Israel and all its people, so it's. They're not really interested in peace. The Palestinian Authority is much more diplomatic with Israel. But that said, um, there was in some incidences uh, in the West Bank that actually uh, predicated the rocket fire increase. So there's a neighborhood, Sheikh Jara, and um, I guess the thing with the West Bank that I should say is it's, I guess, tricky because after the 1967 war, which was another one, the lines changed a bunch. Um, it did belong to Jordan at the time, mm-hmm. um, as did East Jerusalem, but they pulled out after 1967, and that's where why it's become this West Bank, which you know, it's like it's not, it's not really its own independent country, but it, it's kind of different from Israel, uh, you know, because they 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 won it in the war. But again, it's you know, you have a huge Palestinian population, and what what's become an issue there is are these settlements. Have you heard of those? No. What what settlements? So settlements are past that green line, which again was was Jordanian land, you know, of all Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, now it's sort of under Israel's control, but again, it's still its own population of Palestinians. Um, Israel has started to build settlements there, which are outposts of you know Israeli settlers. So those are viewed as as you know um, stirring up a lot of trouble because it sort of is. It's taking the hope away of a future two-state solution if Israel is, you know, sort of stretching out into the land that would eventually become a future country yeah. of Palestine. So Sheikh Jarrah was a neighborhood that, uh, you know, it was in hot debate as to whether it belonged to Jews or Palestinians. Um, you know, it was a neighborhood that in the 1948 war, I believe there was a huge contestment over. So, you know, land has sort of been claimed by both because originally it was a mixed village, but... Um, it, that said, Israeli government still ruled to evict the tenants there. Uh, there was a rule they could live there if they were paying rent. One understand they weren't paying rent, but and, and that's what prompted the evictions. But I would say, from my perspective, it seems a bit like a power play by Benjamin Netanyahu, who uh, he's been he's the acting prime minister. But that's only because the parliamentary system, Israel's election, they haven't been able to have a, a clear winner just because of how the parliamentary system is set up. So he's sort of the sitting politician, uh, pre- or prime minister right now, but he isn't really, you know, yeah, it, like in, in the parliamentary election process, you have to get a certain percentage of the votes to win. No other 
Canada has gotten enough, but um, it's just the problem right now because he's been indicted for lots of fraud and bribery. So he's making all of these power moves, like evicting people from Sheikh Jarrah, just to satisfy his ultra-right funders, most of who are the ultra-Orthodox in Israel. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so they tried to evict people from there. It was a whole bunch of clashes, and then there were all sorts of protests throughout the West Bank and East Jerusalem, which is mostly arid. Um, and there was actually the Dome of the Rock, one of the holiest sites in Islam, uh, that's built on top of the Temple Mount, where the original temple for, for Jewish people was. So it's sort of a shared holy site, but there was a huge protest there, and Israeli police came in, and you know it, it was during their, their Ramadan service, but because there was a protest, um, the police came in, and, and they, they kicked people out, and uh, there was violence. I don't think anyone died in it, but again, it's, you know, just causing tensions, and, and that's, I think, what Hamas said, why they started this round of rocket fire. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, these things, it's it's just such a, everything is such a boiling pot there. Yeah, so you, you said earlier that Hamas in their, uh, um, their charter wants to destroy the country of Israel and its people. Yes, I can explain that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm not saying at all that, you know, this is what Palestinians want. Uh, no. Actually, you, there have been surveys done, and the vast, you know, the majority of both Palestinians and Israelis, they want a two-state solution meaning both Israel and Palestine living side by side. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the uh, Hamas charter, Hamas, which is a, sort of its own uh, extremist group, um, you know, they uh, they call for, I'm going to split it up, the obliteration or dissolution of the state of Israel. Um, yeah, they say, uh, I'll just read it right now, the charter states that our struggle against the Jews is very great in Syria and calls for eventual creation of an Islamic state in Palestine in place of Israel and the Palestinian territories, which again is under the PA, not under Hamas, and the obliteration and dissolution of Israel. So, yeah, that's not a two-state solution, which is really the only thing that's ever going to get us out of this. Um, and again, you could say on the flip side that by Israel building settlements within the West Bank, that's also taking hopes away from a two-state solution. But it's, it's um, I guess it's not as blatant, you know, but as... Yeah. as the liberal extermination of other people um yeah so i mean it's you know it's it's a shame i mean i think if you know if, if there could be some way to you know start changing the government or, or have another election they haven't had one since 2007 you're um, saying the uh gaza hasn't had an election no they've not so i've i've heard uh, Hamas is labeled like a terrorist organization. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know how true that is, but it kind of sounds like they're using terror to get their way. Yeah. So I would say, as far as how true that is, um, you know, it just always comes up because again, it all depends from whose point of view you're, you're, yeah. you are, right? That's. I mean, yeah. Even if you look at, you know, from a Japanese civilian's perspective during World War II, if you look at the U.S. bomber plane just coming in and destroying your house, yeah. that doesn't have any weapons, no army capability, but they just came in and destroyed your house and all of these air raids, you could read the U.S. as terrorists. But I think if you really look at the core goals of a group, you can, you know, sort of determine their, their moral standing or, you know, upstanding rather. Um, as far as Hamas being called a terrorist organization, I mean, their tactics do sort of fall in line with such. Um, you know, they don't really have any negotiations with the Palestinian Authority or Israel. Their methods are just to fire rockets. And the tactics they use, uh, you know, 
I, I don't know if it's controversial or not. Actually, I mean, I know it's controversial, but they um, they employ tactics that actually put their own civilians in harm's way and at risk because they know that helps them win their media war. Yeah, in- so I've, I've heard, are you talking about reports that they, like, will post up in, like, a school or something? Yeah, yeah, so they will put, um, you know, a weapons cache on the roof of a hospital or a school, um, you know, basically because they, they know that, you know, for one, they hope that that would, you know, not necessarily deter it being um, attacked, but they know that, you know, then when Israel inevitably does attack it, that that's going to make, help them sort of get sympathy in the public eye, and honestly, it has, I, I think, you know, yeah. I've lots of very pro or anti-Israel posts, I should say, um, you know, but it's, I've also heard stories, I've talked to soldiers who were stationed in Gaza, even, you know, during the 2014 conflict, when I've been to Israel before, of course, I'm hearing it from a certain perspective, which is probably a very biased perspective, but I do believe it, especially, you know, hearing other reports, uh, so Israel, they will drop leaflets over an area before they say they're going to bomb it, uh, in Arabic, to warn civilians to evacuate, because uh, they, they don't want to kill civilians. You know, their goal is to destroy the weapons caps that Hamas is into the country. Um, I hear, I've heard that Hamas has forced people to stay in their homes even after the leaflets come because they want them to become martyrs. Um, for their mm. And and again, it's, you know, that's the, that's the thing. I, I think... So I... Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think it's really important that you made the distinction between Hamas and the Palestinian population. Yeah, no, yes, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, the Palestinian Authority, which yeah. is in West Bank, they're much more diplomatic. They, they've had discussions moving Or, or the even two. just the, the Arabs living in Gaza. Well, yeah, even, like even Ga- yeah. Is living within Gaza, yes, I think, you know, um, you know, I think the most pro-Israeli person you'd meet, they say that it's a shame that so many people are, are, are being killed from it. And, you know, I mean, honestly, yeah, Israel probably could do a better job of, of being more precise or, you know, um, there has been some debates over whether some of the targets they're striking really were, you know, um, necessarily a weapons catch. But again, it's, it's so mm-hmm. hard to believe the information because both sides are saying stuff to their own advantage. But yeah. again, I think the big thing is, you know, if I think a terrorist organization, if you look at, at the, um, the motives and, you know, if one side is trying to defend its own country and the other is just trying to, you know, fight for resistance, again, it's, it's sad. It's become a technologically imbalanced fight, obviously. But, um, you know, I think that's why they, they say, like, I, there isn't really a moral equivalency, you know, between a, a terrorist organization and, and a government that, yeah, it's definitely flawed and has some issues and they could handle a lot of things a lot better. But, you know, at the core, it is out of protection. And, and again, I do think it's important, you know, you do get a lot of people, um, even on the pro-Israeli side, that, you know, sweep it into all Palestinians. Most Palestinians don't want this. And I think, you know, that is the real tragedy of this conflict, uh, you know, is the almost 300 Palestinian civilians who have died in this. Um, and it's, you know, I don't necessarily, I think there is blame on both sides, but it's just a really tricky situation and it's not so black and white that, like, we see a lot of people posting online about... I don't know if you've seen anything. Yeah, um, so that's that's originally why I started talking to you about this the other day because I saw you on someone's post. Someone had posted like uh, like always for Israel thing, and that that I'm not gonna say who it was, but that kind of surprised me. I'll be honest. That that person posting that on their profile picture, and then I remember someone said, "Well, isn't Israel the bad guy?" And then there was a whole debate. But I saw your comment that uh, where you said that like I think like. 
uh, uh, boiling this down to a good guy, bad guy thing is, is uh, like, really simplistic. I forget exactly what you said, but I remember I read your comment, and I was like, that sounds fair. I'm glad it's struck. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, you, you really can't have it good guy, bad guy. And, and, you know, it's a shame that people are so susceptible to that media channels on, on both extreme side telling them one side but you know the reality is is that you know both israelis and palestinians are a product of their environments you know none of them were around in the 1948 war they've all just been brought up in this sort of sphere that's been left for them by their ancestors and i mean any way out of it you know it's you know i mean it's easy for me to say like let's just try to move on and, and you know not think about history and try to find a way out of this and move on but it's it's really sad and hopeless when you when it just seems like the longer it's in it um you know, there, there is a lot of suffering of Palestinians, and, and, you know, I honestly, I just feel like this flare-up, everyone seemed very, you know, encaptured by it during when it was going on. But I'll be honest, like, it's it's the same narrative as it is every single time there's a flare-up. You know, last time was 2014, before that was 2008. It's the same thing every time. There's rocket increases, and then corresponding Israeli attacking the rocket sites, and then civilians are killed and it's then it becomes a whole media war and and it, it really does just feel like more of the same thing and it just seems like it's doomed to repeat itself again and yeah. again and, and this one know. this one feels maybe it's just because i'm older uh yeah. but this one feels different with social media I, I i really think that uh social media has helped kind of sculpt the like at least the american outlook on the conflict oh yeah, yeah. you know what it felt like that's what a lot of people is. I feel like especially because of, you know, I mean, we're not 100% COVID yet, but, like, I feel like that's made people a lot more in tune to issues, and that's why even in the summer, like, with all of the BLM movement stuff, you know, I feel like people feel a lot more connected to these big news events. Again, I think with COVID, it's like, you know, there's a lot less going on still comparatively to before, so when there is a big flare of people get encapsulated by it, and, you know, everyone takes a stance, and, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I feel like that's part of it. Because in a lot of ways, it does feel similar to the BLM, you know, police stuff that was happening in the summer where, you know, people take a stance and then it's a very controversial. And sometimes I just like reading, you know, a comment for it. Honestly, it's funny you remember that comment. Normally, by now, I, I'd like to say that I've learned better than to even try to engage them to a social media stuff about something that, you know, people have set opinions and, and you know, it's not always going to change. But, I mean, I think... Um, you know, I feel like already it's kind of simmering down a bit, but you do wonder what the repercussions of it are going to be. Um, I feel like a lot of the peace deals, uh, you know, Trump, this wasn't really publicized, but shortly before he left office, uh, he made peace. He was sort of the, the middleman between Israel and a lot of other Arab countries yeah. that didn't acknowledge it. And nobody really talked about it because it was during the pandemic. And, you know, it was also it was kind of a way to try to get an accomplishment right before the election, but it was a little bit, like, too little, too late, I think. Wasn't, you know, wasn't he nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for that? He was, yeah. But, whatever uh, whatever happened with that? Dude, th- this is the hard part, is, like, he would be tweeting about it constantly, but I don't he, know anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's, like, by then, like, during the pandemic, he kind of, I feel like, lost a lot of credibility. But that is something his administration and Jared Kushner did that was very unprecedented. He made... He made established diplomatic relations with Israel and, most importantly, the United Arab Emirates. So uh, that actually started a whole wave. At work, one of my clients is Dubai Tourism Board. So um, they have a whole huge Israeli market now. But even with this conflict, um, you know, 
they, no, so, they aren't doing fights right now. Um, so let me ask know. something. Let me ask something. Uh, what? Yeah. So what? What happened? If, if if there was like a peace deal, and now there's not, was that not between Gaza? What? Like what? Why is so, there all of a sudden this conflict now? So here's the thing. So there are deals between uh, Israel and other Arab countries, like the United uh, Sudan. Uh, it was not a peace deal with the Palestinians, um, as great as that would be. When you think of the Arab world, uh, there's 57 or so countries, um, and you know the Palestinian territories. Uh, it's it's a very different thing than these other countries. But it, again, before Israel had peace with with, with Egypt and Jordan. And that it. So expanding that by a couple of countries is not insignificant. But now, um, you know, when they're seeing other Arabs being, you know, at least the news is portraying it as Israel just completely bombing a hospital. They don't always mention that, you know, there was a weapons cache that was being fired incessantly into Israel there. They don't always mention that in the news. But when they see that, uh, you know, something like Al Jazeera, obviously they're, they're going to have a bit of resentment towards, you know, you know, the people that are doing that to their people. So I think that's why you're starting to see, uh, at least in the Arab world, a little bit more tension towards Israel, where it, it looked like there was maybe things going up for a little bit. So, I mean, hopefully it will pass. But, um, you know, I don't know. Did you hear about how Israel bombed the one building that was the Associated Press building? I vaguely heard something about it. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's a big thing they've been criticized for. There was a building where the Associated Press and Al Jazeera had offices in, and um, Israel dropped leaflets saying that, you know, Hamas was there and they had weapons on the top floor and to evacuate. But um, it's actually some people are saying that this might have been something Israel did to try to limit the media's capabilities to capture what's going on in Gaza. Um, so so was, was Hamas there? <laughs> You know, who's, uh, I'm not the one to say. Uh, Israeli, they say they have intelligence for it, um, but there is actually disputed claims. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, that, again, I mean, I'm, I, I have a lot of Israeli friends and people who are in the army, but again, I don't think, you know, yeah. any government is capable of, of, you know, doing things that aren't necessarily most ethical. So, you yeah. know. So you, you, you regularly talk to people in Israel? All the time, yeah. And, what are, and you know, I, what's been most interesting to me, not just my all of my Jewish friends, but um, on the birthright trips, you know, the bus drivers were always typically Arabs, those Israeli Arabs I was talking about. Mm. I've been talking to them about this conflict because I'm really interested in their perspective on yeah. it. I would imagine that must feel kind of strange being, you know, your country is, is you know, killing people that are, you know, your, your people, really, and... You know, again, but they seem, again, they just, like everyone else, they just want this conflict to end. Well, so I, think, I think that just the fact that Arabs are living peacefully within Israel is kind of evidence that, it, like, a two-state solution would should be possible. It could be. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of people will throw terms around, like, apartheid. Um, but I don't really, I mean, I think, yeah. I feel like that, that neglects the fact that, you know... Within Israel, Arabs have full rights. They serve in the government. Um, in the parliament, there are Arab you know, people serving in parliament. You have um, people in high business positions. One of the most famous DJs, Israeli DJs, Omar Adam, he's Arab. Uh, you know, uh, they, they've actually said that Arabs in Israel typically have more economic opportunity than in most other countries. Um, Israel is the only country uh, in the Middle East where you can be you know, Muslim and be openly gay. Uh, because they don't have gay rights really in those other 
countries in the region. Um, yeah. Of course, communities that still might not be accepted, but, you know, there is definitely a scene for that in Tel Aviv. Yeah, so let me, let me ask you something, just because you, you, you brought up the apartheid. I saw this tweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I screenshotted it the other day because it, it just, like, like I, I feel like that the narrative is so split on Israel and Palestine. I think it's it's so divisive. And like in America, I, I think it's weird that people have such pointed like or, or such like really powerful points of view on this that like like I would be willing to say that most Americans don't really understand what's going on. But, oh, yeah. Like when I like I, I I posted the other day like hey I'm gonna be doing this Israel Palestine podcast let me know if you have any questions and like some of my friends messaged me and were like are you serious like you really like gonna talk about this or like one of my friends was like oh I'll have like my boyfriend call you like he's got something to say he's like very pro Palestine and like it, it just like I, I I like this is the first time I've ever like had people like like I could feel the tension from it but this this tweet I think really exemplifies the other side of like the or not the other side but like the palestinian point of view and i wanted to get your thoughts on it if you don't mind there's a guy jesse mechanic i don't know who that is jay mechanic on twitter uh the tweet says for the record i'm jewish i have experienced anti-semitism Israel is a U.S.-backed nuclear power running an apartheid state and deploying one of the most advanced militaries on the planet to kill trapped Palestinians in Gaza. That statement isn't anti-Semitic, it's honest. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because you said, you know, Jesse, he's Jewish. You do have a lot of people, a lot of people in the Jewish community... Who are just ethnically Jewish. Yeah, no, and what I'm saying, especially even in America, you have a lot of people like him who, who will take a very critical view of Israel, and I think that's fair, and I think you can, you know, you can absolutely be critical of Israel without, you know, being anti-Semitic. I think, though, you know, the issue with that statement to me, saying that Israel is an apartheid state, to me, apartheid, um, again, I mean, everybody thinks of South Africa, but apartheid definition, it is uh, a policy or system of segregation or discrimination on grounds of race. So, okay, so yes, there is an argument that Israel is restricting the movement of Palestinians, especially in Gaza, where you really can't leave, and, you know, they're restricting how much economic activity they can have. Now, is that, is that Israel restricting Gaza, or is that Hamas? No, so um, Israel restricts the commercial activity in and out. They check the trucks going in with supplies because in the past, you know, um, people will sneak weapons in and, and then Hamas, who runs all of Gaza, will seize them and use them against Israel. Mm. So is, Israel is sort of, people have called, people have called uh, Gaza an open-air prison and where Hamas rules inside. And the Whoa. prison is kept by a wall that's Israeli. Um, and yeah, so as far as it being apartheid, I would say that yes, uh, you know, it's not apartheid because to me, like, okay, again, yes, like they are restricting and either that what a Palestinian can do, especially in Gaza and the West Bank, it's a lot more open. They can travel a bit more, but it's still restricted to a degree, definitely. Um, but I don't think you can call that something based on race when you have 
um, you know, Israeli Arabs of the same race who, you know, they, back in 1948, after the war, uh, a lot of them were given a chance to accept Israeli citizenship. Some did, some didn't, and went to these refugee camps instead, which became the territories eventually. But to me, that's not really based on race. That's based on, you know, there being a, a place that's trying to actively, you know, destroy your country, and you have to restrict the movement and what they can do to make sure they can see that goal to an end. Um, I don't think that's based on racial, again, because you have the Arabs in Israel who are fully integrated citizens, fully part of society, part of culture. Um, you know, this isn't something based on race. This is just based on, you know, if one country is trying to kill you and, and another group is part of their your people. It, it's, it's not really... Again, it's very unfortunate that the Palestinian people have to pay the price of that, of, of you know, what the, this extremist government is doing. And I'm not saying it's always justified, you know, the things Israel does impose on it, but it's coming from a place of, of you know, defending against what is, again, I mean, I definitely call Hamas a terrorist organization. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, also, I mean, like you said, I think you said in his tweet that he said that they were doing this to kill children. I mean, I don't think that that is Israel's intent. They're not trying to kill people. If people say that, you know, they're trying to wipe out Palestine. The reality is, if Israel wanted to do that, they could have done it years ago. I, I, I want to clarify. He did not say anything about children in the tweet. Oh, what did he say? What was it after? I'm sorry. I he said, the... no, you're good. Uh, Israel is a U.S.-backed nuclear power running an apartheid state and deploying one of the most advanced militaries on the planet to kill trapped Palestinians in Gaza. I'm sorry, I'm not sure I thought children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, well, well, I mean, that is like a, a big accusation is that children are the, the victims here. But more like, so when, when these, let's call them conflicts, yeah. begin, like in 2008, 2014, 2021, yeah. who, like, how, how does it start? Because it, it seems like, just from what you've been saying, that both sides seem to be acting defensively. Yeah, um, and again, when you ask who started it, you know, obviously each side's going to say a different thing. Yeah. Um, because again, it's all it's all about how you view it, right? Like, I wouldn't say that this is the start of the conflict. This is just the flare-up of something that's been going on since 1948. Yeah, but the, like the, each individual flare-up, like, 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 is it is it like, uh, like is is it Hamas who kind of launches something, or is it like? So, or, I mean, or does it depend? I, I, I'm i sure it's much more nuanced than it's nuanced who started again, it. Like we said, for this conflict, you know, an Israeli court ruled that a certain piece of land within the West Bank belonged to Jews. And, and you know, the, the Arab tenants, which were granted access to live there, uh, they were being evicted. And, you know, that's not a nice thing to do. Honestly, in my opinion, I think they should have just let them stay there. Like, why agitate something that isn't really that big a deal for so much land? Again, it's a power play. Benjamin Netanyahu. So, you know, that's something that to some people it's a legitimate thing, you know, if it, if it is historically Jewish land, and it should go back to the owners. Um, maybe, maybe not. But again, then Hamas starts sending rocket barrages, and, you know, that's what in Israeli state started the conflict, and they would say those evictions in the West Bank is what started the conflict. Mm. Again, it's, it's, you know, then if you go back to the evictions, you can go back farther and say that that started, you know, when in the 1967 war, um, the Jordanians came and you know, took a lot of kicked the Jewish settlers out of there. So again, you can go back and forth and back and forth as to who started it. But 
Um, I think the big thing, again, is it's just it's so hard to, like, you know what I've said to people, Miles? I've said, you know, you think how can there ever be an end to these conflicts? And he thinks of World War Two, right? Yeah. Uh, had terrible, you know, we thought Japan and Germany were, like, the worst places on Earth, right? But very quickly, we made peace with them and moved on, right? And how could we do that? But why can't they do that in this situation, you know, for 70 years? Yeah. I mean, do you ever think about that? And, I mean, I think there's a few things to it. I mean, you know, it's... It's just tricky because you're dealing in such a tiny, tiny space. So and, the other you know, thing that, that, like, this has been an ongoing issue for quite some time. The, yeah. the, the other kind of almost advantage to, you know, the, the, the Axis during World War II was that, like, it was fairly quick. I mean, you know, Germany a little less so because they were kind of boiled after World War One. Yeah. But, but, I mean, in those conflicts, like, World War One kind of, like, there was some tension, but it kind of... Like, like I'll say there were much more short-term reactions than, I think, the Israel-Palestine conflict, right? Like, this yeah, has I... been a, a long, long thing, so any solution that's derived is going to take a long time. I know, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate because cause I would say, you know, and, and I, know, I don't know if we're getting towards the time here, but I would definitely want to I, I point out, you know, as far as, you know, a two-state solution being offered um, that has been negotiated many times and has been brought up to the table at many points in history. You have like the, the Camp David Accords with Bill Clinton. There's a very mm. famous picture of uh, Clinton with Yitzhak Rabin, Israeli Prime Minister, and um, Yasser Arafat, who was in charge of uh, the PLA for a while. Um, what's what's the, the PLA? Uh, that's the Palestinian, uh, or sorry, PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. Which okay. They have engaged in some things which, you know, you could call terrorism, like knife stabbings and bus bombings. But, you know, that said, uh, you know, Clinton, at those accords, he was able to make peace with someone who Israelis considered a terrorist and the prime minister of Israel. This was in the 90s. Now, a lot of people say that hope for a two-state solution died with Yitzhak Rabin. He was the prime minister in the 90s, and he was shot and assassinated. But get this, uh, you know, who do you think it was by, Miles? Seems like a trick question. Who would you assume it's by? <laughs> so, I, I, of course, it would seem to be Palestinians, but I'm going to throw a curveball and say the Israelis. Well, it wasn't the group of the Israelis. It was oh, yeah, one but... guy on his own, and he was a far-right extremist, and, you know, he thought that Yitzhak Rabin was conceding too much to the Palestinians in these peace accords. Wow. And you know, after he died, you, you, know, you haven't really had a, a, a prime minister that was as interested in peace. And, it, you know, it's, it's a shame. And I think that just sort of shows it's not just one side, one side. Within each side are factions. And so many opinions. And so you said that, that Netanyahu was the acting prime minister. Yes. So <laughs> why, why not a new prime minister, I guess? So uh, let me think how to put this. Um... So basically, uh, <laughs> um, okay, so he has been the longest serving prime minister, um, you know, really since he, he's been under, so I don't know if you know how parliamentary systems work, but typically you have parties that make coalitions to get the majority vote mm. in part, you know, to have then that prime minister position established. Um, so basically, uh, the coalition of parties of Netanyahu's and, um, 
this guy named Benny Gantz, but he came from a much more extremist right-wing party, uh, you know, it, it collapsed. They weren't a coalition anymore, so then they don't have majority share of the parliament. And, you know, he's not really the true representative of the majority of the country. Um, so and that's a little different than the U.S. system. It's very similar to the British system. Mm-hmm. It is the British system. They instilled that there, just like they instilled it in India after they pulled out. Um, so they had a new election in March 2021, but uh, no majority was found, so they had to have another election. Um, you know, oh, so they just keep the same guy until there's a majority. Yeah, exactly, but it's not oh. really. That's why he's called acting prime minister, and it just comes at a weird time because now he has been indicted of, um, you know, lots of lots of things of, of taking money from Russia, you know, from Trump, from uh, from all sorts of people, um, you know, bribery, fraud, everything. Really, he's he's. You know, Netanyahu, he's, he's very... It's so funny. I feel like you get these really big right-wing personalities just popping up in the world, whether it's like Erdogan in Turkey or Netanyahu or Putin or Trump or any of that. They're all very similar. Huge personalities that have all of this, you know, dirty laundry. It's uh, it's funny how similar they are in many ways. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's... it's uh, you need to look, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it is depressing, but I would say i would want to you know make sure i point out like every time i've been to israel i never really i you don't really feel the stress of the conflict it, it does feel very peaceful when you're there um yeah. even, you know and you're you mentioned you were going to israel soon right yeah so i was actually going to go june 14th but um i was going to stop another birthright trip they offered but then they actually ended up pushing it because a lot of people ended up canceling i guess because of the war and stuff oh, okay. so even though it's in the ceasefire and likely simmering down, they pushed it to July. So, yeah. But, mm. I know, I mean, I really do think, like, when I've been there, I see true coexistence. Um, you know, I see true people just trying to live their life and not, you know, yeah. not trying to destroy one another. I really think it's just get these... That's, like, that's what I've heard about, like, like uh, civil conflicts like this, is that, like, the bulk of it isn't... Like, it's not like the whole country is up in flames at once you know it's like oh. it's like oh this block like like i don't know if you know tim pool um tim pool so. yeah he's like a commentator on youtube i watch a lot of his stuff he he went around a lot like before he was just a commentator he was like an on the field reporter he would just travel around every time there was a conflict with his camera and um he he was in like egypt during the revolution there and oh, he's, wow. Yeah, but he said he was like, listen, like I was in a McDonald's and one block over there's like a revolution. You don't even kind of notice it. Yeah, it, it's it, it's funny. It's like you really, I mean, yeah, you really realize these things. Like how much is this just being spotlighted by the media? And yeah. how much are we not as, you know, to what's really, you know, it, it's, again, this conflict did flare up. I mean, the, the sky of Tel Aviv that you thought in your video was, had lots of stuff in it. But again, I mean, you know, I've never been to Israel in a time of conflict like this before, but, yeah. you know, I mean, you have this underlying thing that's been going on over 70 years, and I really feel it myself when I'm there, you know? Yeah. I really do feel it. It's, it's an amazing place to visit. I think everybody should, um, you know? And honestly, yeah, I, I implore you, go take a tour of the West Bank. Um, you can't go to Gaza because, you know, it's sort of uh, closed off and run by a terrorist group. But you can go to the West Bank, get a, get you know, get a tour that's of a different perspective while also seeing a lot of amazing sites like Jericho or the Nativity Church or Bethlehem. You know, I think it's important to see both sides of it. Yeah. 
So hey, do you uh do you have some time for some questions? Yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah received received two. Okay. They're both just kind of long comments, but <laughs> yeah, let's talk about them. <laughs> yeah, first one, first one is from um, Lombard, episode nineteen. Go check cool. that out. <laughs> but yeah, so this is a. Uh... Hold on, wait, that's the wrong volume. Hold on, let me see if this is gonna work. What is up, Miles? Saw your message on Instagram. You're talking Israel Palestine. I felt like I should call and say what's up. Can you hear that? All right, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I think there was more cursing in that three minutes than the entire podcast before. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't get to interact too much with Wolf in college, but I remember he was always very, you know, profoundly spoken. That was, uh, no, I mean, you know, you had a lot of things. Uh, I would say, for one, this hasn't been going on for millennia. It really started in the early 1900s when, you know, you started to have, um, you know, more of 
this sort of tribalism, but, you know, again, I mean, this is more of a years old conflict, but, you know, I mean, no, he's so right. It's so not so about- I, I do want to speak on that millennia comment, because I also, until you, you were telling me how kind of recent the conflict is, comparatively to millennia, it's been going on a long time, but I always thought this was like, you know, 6,000 years of, of trouble. And, and I feel like that creates this narrative that, like, there'll never be peace. But when you put it in the perspective of, oh, it's been 70 years, it's like, it may take a while, but I, th- I think it's definitely possible. No, it is. And I mean, look, I mean, honestly, he's so right. I do really like when he said, you know, people will say, I support Israel or I support Palestine. And I don't think that's a good way of looking at it. He's right. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter on which side of the dial it is. People are dying over this issue, and we need to think yeah. how we can stop that. Instead of saying what you know, government you support, both governments do bad things. It's just, I, as far as coming in and doing something, who does he mean? The U.S.? Does he mean the U.N.? I mean, yeah. they, they've tried that. And, and I think, you know, you could really boil this whole conflict down to Western imperialism, mismanaging um, a whole country and many different people. And, you know, that's really, as far as the Arabs not liking Jews, that really came as a result of the Western influence, especially as it was mm. rising in Europe uh, pre-World War II. So as far as, you know, who should come in and do that, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, who's in the place to do it. And it's also, I mean, he's right, it's not simple. But uh, now Wolf, I believe he served in Afghanistan, right? I think so. I don't want to speak for him, but, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I, I just feel like, it's funny because as far as like if you were to go into Gaza and, and try to oust Hamas, it's you know the way these sort of Islamic extreme jihadist groups work, it's it's very hard to really um, track them out. down. Because the thing is, sure, it'd be great if you could sit them down at the table, you know, with a Jewish person and just have them read the text and realize, wow, it doesn't say anywhere in here that we have to be killing each other. But I feel like if someone's that bought in to the point of willing to, you know, to be you know, give their life for a, a cause it's really hard to come to the table with that yeah so. that's that's one of the the hardest things about dealing with like that martyr culture yeah of, of like oh if you die you're a hero because then if you, you, don't you can't life, yeah but even then like for the other side it's like you can't kill them or else it'll em, em, embolden them in a way and i'm exactly. not obviously advocating for killing anybody but I mean, that, that martyr culture is an excellent battle strategy. And plus, I mean, for anyone to kind of come in and, and do anything about it, they definitely have the, like, home field advantage, which is, yeah. like, one of the reasons why America won the, the the war against Britain is because we knew the land. We knew the, the landscape. Yeah, and, I mean, you think back to, you know, the U.S. coming into Iraq to, to oust Saddam Hussein's government. Exactly. And we leave, and we leave, and there's a power vacuum, and then, look, ISIS rises up and becomes the next big threat. And, and you know, I, I don't—you have a people that have been, you know, living in such terrible conditions, being Palestinians, you know, for so long, especially within Gaza. It, it's it's totally—I could totally see why someone would go to a group like Hamas that offers them security, offers them brotherhood, yeah. offers a sense of purpose in a life that really isn't that great. And I can totally see why from their perspective, they would just... And plus they say like, hey, you have a hard life. Here's the problem. Yeah, but it's you can't take yourself out of that. It's easy for us yeah. to say that from our cozy little homes. But I mean, no, I mean, yeah, that, that was, I think, Wolf definitely, he hit the nail on the head in a lot of regards. Um, yeah. All right, so we got a, um, we have another yeah. comment too I'd love to play for you. Please. 
Miles. Uh, my question is about the Israeli-Palestine episode. Can you hear that all right? Yeah. Great. We're not just letting people fight things out. Uh, what I mean by that is I've noticed, you know, in most uh, most circumstances, say like tension, there's tension in the home with a partner that we just like try to force peace. It just is a nightmare. But when people finally suck up and start saying what's on, what's happening and Sometimes it escalates to shouting, and I know that, uh, you know, when you fight fair, because <laughs> I mean, that's like a fight, right? You, now you're in a fight. When, as long as things don't get out of hand, the emotions pass. And then, you know, once the emotions have passed, in my personal experience, people feel a lot better. And then those circumstances you get better at avoiding fighting because you value it, I mean, for whatever reason. And, uh, it seems for the best to sometimes just fight it out. So that's one thing I never have, it's one position I've never heard, uh, I just can't help but wonder if it's, because it would actually provide a a final solution, which is that term. (laughs) So I want to stop it right there and just say, not a good idea to talk about any issue involving the Jewish people throwing in the phrase final solution. <laughs> Why don't we just let it let them fight it out? There'll be a final solution. <laughs> I mean, there would be a final solution because if it was really just, if someone just put up a ring match, the reality is that, you know, Israel has by far the superior technology and, and you know, they really could completely destroy all of Gaza and, 20 minutes if they wanted to that's not what they want to do i mean they they do try to minimize civilian impact no matter you know i know the news says otherwise but it's just so dense but i mean i don't know obviously you can't just fight it out and i mean i don't think emotions would just subside i think like you were saying i mean if you have that martyrdom culture it's just gonna sort of you know i mean it's welcome from what i understand by some time i mean but the problem is obviously not everybody in gaza is in that you know, not everyone in Gaza is Hamas, you know, I mean, they live yeah. under their rule, but they don't all, you know, the vast majority of them ought to have a decent life. The bulk know? of and, the people are just civilians who want to live. You know what I recommend, uh, you know, and I, I like doing this myself. I like to go on Snapchat, Snap Maps. Do you ever go, do you have Snapchat? Mm, yeah. And I, I went during the conflict and I wanted to see what people in Gaza were posting. Um, well, they are blocked off. They do have internet. It's not like North Korea. So, you know, they have, you can look at stuff on Snap Maps there and you can see what they're posting. And you see life is existing. They have restaurants. They have, you know, coffee shops. They have roads and street signs. And, you know, they do have things there. And it really makes you see, like, I love just going on Snap Maps and looking at different parts of the world, but especially wow. during this, myself looking at both sides and, you know, I think that's something people do to really see what like, you know, for the everyday civilian there. That's something we can all do. Just that's what, that's you know? a really cool use of that. I, I would have never thought to do that. Oh, yeah. You can do yeah. it all over the world, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to do know? that in, in Colombia, man. <laughs> do I they have all, I think that, yeah, they have social media in Colombia, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Now they do. Yeah. Well, I guess back then they didn't have social media to begin with. But, yeah, no, um. Yeah, why? What's in Colombia to see right now? 
Oh, the there's a whole conflict going on with the government, and I, I have a couple Colombian friends, and I, I I went to Colombia, and I like. Remember, I was gonna say this sounds. I feel like you and Colombia sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I went a couple years ago. I I fell in love with the place. It's beautiful. The the land is beautiful. The food is beautiful. The people are beautiful. Like it's it's such a great place. And uh, I, I have a, a couple friends who are Colombian, and when I went there, you know, I met their, their family, and, and uh, it's it, like, I don't fully understand the issue, but it freaking breaks my heart, man. Well, you I know what's going on there. Yeah. And it got really good in, two, in like the mid-2000s, and then I know it became like a huge tourist yeah. spot upcoming, because it was, you know, but like, yeah, that's, that's it's a shame. Is it back to like... Cartel versus you know oppressive dictatorship. No, no, it's it's the people versus the government right now. I I, I saw my buddy lives in like or he, was, he lives in America now, but he was from this. Uh, not really like a he he described it as like a big small town or a small big town. It's it's like it's not like a super big place, but it's you know it's not Cali or anything or like Medellin, yeah. but. It's like it's just like a town where people live. It's not really any tourism. It's just like a regular Colombian town. And he, he sent me a picture of of a building there on fire. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it it, it like it scared me because I, I like I was I was in that town. I, I stayed there for like a week and a half, and it like you know like I remember going to like the pizza place. There's like a river that runs through the town, sitting by there. Um, and his family kind of lived downtown, so we were walking distance from every, you know, everything we needed, uh, stores, gym, um, and like, yeah, it was yeah. just. I'm gonna check this out on Snap Maps after. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out the the Gaza and the Palestine and uh, like the West Bank and in, in Israel because I I would have never thought to do that. What a cool way to to see what's really going down on the ground in these places. Yeah. Literally anywhere. I mean. It's really cool. You go on the map yeah. and you see, like little bubbles based off how many snaps are there. So cities have more, but you know there are some yeah, countries. Yeah, yeah. North Korea, there's nothing obviously. Yeah. You know? So I guess to answer that that last question, why not let them duke it out? Uh, because Gaza would be wiped off the map, and we want to find some sort of peaceful solution. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah. Look, I think I mean, peace is definitely advent more yeah. advantageous. Yeah, I mean, a domestic dispute, you can't really compare this to a domestic dispute, and even that, I mean... Yeah, the other, really... the other part of that is, like, for the can most really... part, I think point... most families aren't, don't, you know, have a nuclear arsenal. <laughs> well, Israel has a nuclear arsenal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also... Like, my parents don't, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, obviously, they can't. I, I, the other big thing is they can't get to that point, because Gaza is so close to Israel, it's so enveloped, and it's mm. also... So... It would affect everything, but yeah. that's never an option. But you know, again, I think you know, for both sides, just letting them duke it out—that's that's no way to do it. That's just way too many people to die. We need to yeah. find something. Yeah. You know? So what? What do you think? There's a path to peace, and what do you think that would be? I think. Um, and if you don't know, that's totally fine. It's a complicated issue. I honestly, from from everything I've seen over the years, I don't think there is going to be any peace with Hamas. I don't think, um, I don't think they're ever going to accept 
any state of Israel in any form, as you know, because to them, Palestine should be the entire territory. Mm. Uh, but that's both Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. It, that should be all of Palestine. And that's the thing. They, you know, there's been two state proposals, but a lot of groups don't accept it because they want the entire country. But they lost it through wars, unfortunately. Um, the Palestinian Authority has had peace talks and negotiations. Flare-ups like this really don't help anything. Neither, you know, so, I mean, again, you know, it's going to be a very painful way forward. I think Israel's going to have to cede a lot of things, like their settlements they've been building, um, which, again, that's a huge debate within Israel, is if, is if that would, should happen, because that involves kicking those settlers out of their homes. That's been done when Israel ceded Gaza in 2005. Um, you know, soldiers, soldiers forced people who had been living there their whole lives out of their homes because they were making that, annexing that, not really making yeah. part of Israel. So as far as a path forward, it's, it's so hard to say, Miles, because there's so many, again, not even just, you know, Israel-Palestine. Within Palestine, there are two factions that are at odds with each other. And, and you know, I mean, I would say maybe if Hamas... I really don't see how you can defeat Hamas, honestly. Or, I mean, I don't see how you can have an election there, um, you know, about... I just feel like rooted and, you know, I... I don't see an answer, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Again, said if this was easy, someone else would have come up with it. Yeah. You know, you thought Trump, he's the great deal maker. You thought maybe you could have done it, but I'm just kidding. The <laughs> <Just laughs> art of the deal. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm a deal that can't refuse. But, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe if someone besides BB becomes in power and maybe someone who's a little bit, you know, not so so extreme right you know and a little more progressive and willing to have more talks and concessions maybe something could happen but with the palestinian authority maybe but um i don't think there is a lot of hope for gaza and it's a damn shame because you know at the end of the day it's the people suffering and yeah yeah. (laughs) sorry to end on a bleak note no that i that i I was uh, the truth like ultimately like it's the the people who suffer and that's tragic i don't see a way out of it you know and it's it's sad but you know i mean i i hope that you know when we're older you know in in 50 years that be i think in the past i mean you think this has been going on since 48 like i mean literally people have grandparents but i mean in 10 years that no one from the original conflict will be alive even and like why keep fighting this battle over something that's becoming more and more removed and yeah it's yeah we'll see what happens <laughs> well i'll be hoping and praying for something but dude thank yeah. you so much for coming on this was awesome oh this was great miles i love you know it's always fun to like you know, I feel like I'm the guest on the Joe Rogan show or something. <laughs> um, well, thank you very yeah, this much. For having me, um, obviously, and again, I mean, I, I just fully disclose, you know, I have spent a lot of time in Israel. I mean, I, I'm sure I have some inherent biases for my outlooks and the news I get, but, you know, I, I would say explore it for yourself. You know, really yeah. do the re- Don't just watch, you know, a BuzzFeed video or, or you know, what some influencer says. Really do the digging. Go on Snap Maps. See really what it's like brown yeah well uh, thank you Uh, i really like that snap map idea do you uh do you want to give out your social or anything or plugs or just leave it at that yeah um you know uh you can find me 
Benjamin Atwater, or no, sorry, just Ben Atwater, A-T-W-A-T-E-R. Uh, I'm on Instagram that way as well. Um, you know, I have a lot of pictures from Israel. I actually have videos from Israel on my YouTube channel, which I know you're familiar with, Miles. Yeah. So <laughs> you can just find Ben SB96, so B-E-N-S-B-96 on YouTube. Uh, I have some videos from there where, you know, Again, it is a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous country. It's some of the most amazing nature I've ever seen. Amazing. Yeah. You don't feel the conflict there. And I like, you know, I capture, I have some videos of some hikes through the desert. It's it's really one of the prettiest places on earth. And, and you know, I think capturing that and showing it's so much more than just this hotbed of conflict, which the yeah. media can make it seem like it's important. Dude, I love when you go to Israel just to see the, the countryside there. And I remember, I think it was the last time you went when you were doing the internship. Uh, you went on like a really long hike and I remember seeing the views of the desert and the, the seas, it was, it was, it was breathtaking even through a picture. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that miles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're traveling, a picture is nothing like being there and you know, I have videos, but even that, you know, being there, it's just, I know absolutely stunning. And it's such the size of New Jersey, but you have mountains, beach, desert, city, forest you have so much diversity in the landscape and the people and and really truly is the best food in the world um so yeah you know stay safe everybody um you know stay informed you know let's all just hope and pray for some sort of abatement to this so people on both sides can just keep peace and you know thanks for having me miles i really enjoyed this dude that was a blast thank you for coming on really appreciate it for sure talk soon man have a good night talk to you soon you too